The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. 60 seconds after you die. Can you imagine the other side, the unknown? Heaven is real. So is hell. Imagine heaven. It's better than that. To be made new, forever changed, transformed, and ushered into His presence. The holy city of God. Finally knowing what it's like. What is life and light of eternity? Your soul will never die. So what awaits after all of this life? That is eternity. We are going to be over in Revelation this morning. Uh, last week we talked about transformed for life uh, to heaven. And uh, we really talked about what, what our bodies are going to be like and, and what it's going to be. This transformation is what's going to take place. And this morning we're going to look at what life is going to be like in the heavenly city. And we are just literally going to touch the tip of the iceberg because we could spend a lot of time <clears throat> right here uh, reading God's Word and studying God's Word and seeing what life is going to be like <clears throat> in the new heaven. How many of you had a good Thanksgiving? Did you, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but I mean, that's fine. I wanted you to for that. That gets you uh, involved a little bit. Uh, but uh, how many of you went somewhere or how many, somebody came here? And And you don't have to answer that, but whether you went or whether you came, uh, it, was, it was towards home, wasn't it? Either people came home, children or uh, relatives, or you went to somewhere that is home. And that's what Thanksgiving's all about. It's, uh, it's about being thankful for our blessings. It's about a reminder of home. And uh, I was looking at some things. I've been uh, I've been out of of uh, range, I guess you would say, cyber wise. So I, I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. Well, I got to looking at uh, some things on Facebook, and I thought I saw my mother-in-law in some pictures at, at the Harris's home, but it was Delta. And uh, so, if y'all don't know who Delta is, you'll know that. But it reminded me of a story. Uh, a uh, a mule, a tragic story. A, a donkey had had been around the house, and a mother-in-law had came. I don't have nothing against mother-in-laws, uh, but uh, this just goes right along with it. And uh, somehow, through event uh, activities, the donkey killed the mother-in-law. So they were at the funeral, and as the uh, the man was standing there, and people were passing through. Uh, the ladies would say something, and the man would, would nod and smile, and then the men would say something, and he would frown and shake his head and smile and frown and shake his head. Well, somebody finally, after the funeral, said, what was going on up there? said, we noticed that the ladies would come by, you would smile and shake your head, and uh, the men would come by, and you'd frown and shake your head no. And he said, well, the, the ladies were all saying, well, we're so sorry for your loss. And the men were all saying, can we, buy, can we borrow that donkey? <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> maybe not. I don't guess Delta's that kind of donkey issue. No. Uh, so 
But anyway, that's just to get you started. Life in heaven, you have to put up with that sometime. Uh, oh, yeah, she knows. <laughs> she knows. We've been married 33 years, so uh, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> uh, there's no, that's not part of audience participation there. Uh, there is within the heart of every human a desire for home. There really is, nearly ever. I guess, I guess maybe I wouldn't know that for certain from every person, but for nearly every person, there's a desire to be home. For us on this side of heaven, we may think of home as the place we grew up or the place that our parents are, our in-laws are, or maybe for our children, the, there's something about coming home to our house where we are now. But, but it's something about being home, and someday for us as Christians, by those who have lived by faith through Jesus Christ, we're going home. C.S. Lewis, uh, and I'm going to refer to him again here in just a moment, he said, if nothing in this world satisfies me, perhaps it's because I've been made for another world. That's a good thought, isn't it? If nothing in this world satisfies us, maybe it's because we were made for another world. We were made for a different place. And, and this morning, uh, Jesus assured his disciples in John 14, starting in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house have many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. For over 2,000 years, God himself has been building a city. And we've been talking about eternity now for about four weeks or maybe five weeks. And <coughs> excuse me, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, John uses the term city 11 times to describe or to refer to heaven. And it's not just a figurative of speech. It's not a figure of speech, but the writer of Hebrews, listen to what he wrote in Hebrews 11, <clears throat> 13 and 14, also in verse 16. Here's what it says. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them far off, were assured of them embraced them and confessed, listen, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Well, this is a roll call of faith. We just jumped right in the middle of this. But these had died in faith. They hadn't received the promise. They'd seen the uh, promise from far off. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And in verse 16... But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This morning, what I want to do is I want us to kind of take a walking tour through heaven. Just to kind of get an ideal. Uh, I have just two more me uh, messages to preach on eternity. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll talk about what about the children, and in the following week, we'll talk about living in the light of eternity. And as I said earlier, we could spend months on this subject. I mean, we could go on and on and on, 
And I still wouldn't have an answer for all the questions that come up, but I'll tell you this, it's been a learning experience for me. As I've thought about heaven, as we looked at heaven, and uh, if you want more information, I want to recommend a couple of books to you, and they're both written by Randy Alcorn. I've I've referred to him a lot during this, and a lot of these ideals uh, he's put together, and we've taken them out of that book. But one book is called Living in the Light of Eternity, and it's kind of a small book. It's a, it's a concise work about questions concerning heaven. So it's, it's a smaller type book. He's really known for uh, fictional books, but he's written these two books, and, and they deal with heaven. And the other is a book simply called Heaven. And it's a thicker book, but it's a, it's a comprehensive examination of what the Bible says about heaven. And he uses scriptures, and he's, he's brought these things, and, and he reveals a lot about what the Bible says about heaven. And he does a great job. So if you want more information, and you look up Randy Alcorn and In the Light of Eternity or also the book entitled Heaven. And we do have that book in our library if you'd like to get it, I have it in my office right now, but we would be glad for you to take that and read it if you'd like to. But this morning as we uh, go through this, and I will mention if you read those books, don't ever take a man's uh, opinion as, as the gospel. There's, there's things that you may or may not agree with in that book, but for the most part, I think they're worth reading, and so I'll give that clarification. So the most detailed description of heaven that we find in Scripture is found in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Revelation 21, 1 through 4, this is what John says. He says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride atoned for her husband. Verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be called his people. And God himself will be with them, and he'll be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So as we begin to think about heaven and to gain an appreciation for how uh, this new Jerusalem or this new heaven will be, it's going to be a marvelous place. I think we need to understand the dimensions of heaven. Now this morning, if I say that there's a new city coming, I, I don't want you to answer this, but I want you to think about this. What do you get a picture of? If I say there's going to be a, a city called heaven. You, you may or may not, you may get a picture of New York City and uh, buildings and lights. And you may get a picture of Charleston. You know, I mean, it's that, that wide array or uh, that, that different ideals. But, but a new city coming from heaven. When we begin to look at the dimensions, we begin to look at how this city is described, I think it may just blow you away a little bit because unless you look at this and unless you really study this, I don't think we understand what this is talking about. Look at the first description, the dimensions of the city. This is verse 15 through 17. We're in Revelation chapter 21. And he who talked with me, this is John, and he's writing down the things he saw. That's what the Lord said. I want you to write down these things that you're going to see and the things that I'm going to tell you. 
And he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls, and the city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, one with 140 cubics, according to the measurement of a man, that is, of an angel. Now, when we start studying Scripture, and a lot of people are scared of Revelation, and you shouldn't be. Actually, Revelation said, blessed is those who, the man that studies this book. But do y'all ever do logic prop? Does anybody ever even look in a crossword puzzle book anymore? You know, when you go deer hunting and you're sitting in a deer stand, there's got to be something to do. So uh, I've got these crossword puzzle books and different things, and I was talking to JC this week, and I said, do you ever do those logic problems? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? What it is, is it's a, it's a problem, and it, at the top of this puzzle, there is a description of events. And, and the, the, the opening may say, this is a football team, and you have five players, and it says which, pro, which player is the running back, which player is the quarterback, which player is the tailback, which one is on the line, you know, and what color is their jersey, and what's their number. And it'll say, from the clues provided below, see if you can answer these. And when you begin to read that, and it's got a chart box that you can X out, you know, this name and this color and this helmet and all of these different things. So you start reading these clues, and you begin to draw a, draw a picture of who you're looking for, you know. And it, the, the clue may say, well, Ben is not the one who wore 33, so you find Ben, and you find 33, and you go and you X him out. And, and this process for me is hours and hours and hours. And then I cheat because I can't figure it out, you know. So, uh, but, but what it is, the funny thing about it is I can, I can look at it, and I can fill out all the clues. Of course, the first clues are simple. Like Ben is not wearing 23. Well, you, that's simple. But through the, 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 the progression of the puzzle... You, you begin to, to read into things that, oh, I missed this while ago, and, and you begin to, to build your picture. And the funny thing is you can lay that puzzle down and nine months later go back and pick it up and start reading it again, and you say, oh, I didn't even see that before. I didn't even realize that was in there. And, and over and over and over, well, I had given J.C. one of them, and I said, I bet you can't figure this out, you know, and she worked on it a couple of hours, and... I don't think she cheated. I think she just quit on it. But she said, I figured out one of them. Well, when we read, and what all that has to do with what I'm talking about this morning, I think when we read God's Word, it's like that. Sometimes we read God's Word and we see something that's simple. It just jumps out at us. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. We can read that and we can, we can understand it. But the next time we read it, we may see a little bit more. And we might understand a little bit more. And the Bible says that God is revealing His mysteries to us daily. So if you're in God's words daily, He's revealing things to you that you didn't know. You may have read it five times, but all of a sudden today, oh, I see that. So when we look at this description of this city, there are some things that we can see. And, and the city is at the center of the future heaven and that, that city is called the New Jerusalem. And if I say to you, okay, 
we're not going to live in that city all the time. You may say, well, it doesn't say that in God's word. It says he's preparing a place for us, a city, a new Jerusalem. But look what it says here. There's a, and, and we're going to see a little bit more of this as we go, but I'm just, I'm just starting this up. If we read this, it talks about these gates that are in the city, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. And it talks about the coming and going of the city, of, the, of people in the city. So that right there tells you there's a continual coming and going of travelers. They're in the city, they're out of the city, and, and gates suggest that the city is not the whole of heaven. This is just a measurement of the city. So as we look at this book, as we look at this description of the city, we're not looking at a description of the whole of heaven. We're just looking at the city because there's gates, there's coming, there's going, and, and Jerusalem is merely the center or the capital of this new city. So that's what we're looking at. I hope I didn't confuse you with that, but, but understand as, as John is describing this new Jerusalem, this new city, it says that there's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new city and there's a new earth. So what we're looking at today is we're really, we're really just looking at this new city. And we need to understand, and I'm, I'm saying all this because of a guy in church one time said, you know, I don't like big cities. And, and I've told Doug about that, and we've talked about that. And he said, I can't see myself living in a city. Well, we don't get a good idea, a good understanding of, of what John is describing the reason being, just like we think heaven's going to be one long preaching service, we think that we think the new city is going to be something like downtown Dallas. And, and for our minds, we don't really comprehend what John is describing here. So as we look at this, the size of this new city is mind-boggling. If you just read what we read, its length, its breadth, or equal in height, 4,000 furlongs, and, and all of these different things, 12,000 furlongs, what does that mean? So as we look at this city, how is heaven going to be big enough to hold all the Christians? You may have heard that question. How, how is everybody going to fit in this city? Well, we begin to look at this in Revelation 21, 15 through 17. It's reported, it's, it's reported to be kind of a cube shape, which we can't completely comprehend. And as, as, as we go through this... The, the exact dimensions are measured by an angel, and it's cube-shaped, and it measures 12,000 stata, stata, whatever. That's nearly 1,500 miles. Okay, we're going to start breaking this down just a little bit. Nearly 1,500 miles. So we don't need to worry about if heaven's going to be big enough. If you add that up, that's 200 million square miles. That's what the angel's describing. A city that's 200 million square miles. If you were to take that city and you were to set it in the United States, does anybody have any idea where it would fit? As big as Texas is, it won't fit in Texas. Matter of fact, one side of it would be at Canada, and the other side of it would not be stopping anywhere. It would be all the way to Mexico. That's how wide that city was going to be. And the length of that city was going to, would start at the Appalachian Mountains and go all the way to the coast in California. That's what John describes. That doesn't sound like any city we've ever seen, does it? I mean, it's, it's beyond comprehension. If we were to allow 12 feet per story, because it says it's cube-shaped, there would be 600,000, it would be 600,000 stories high. 
Can you imagine that? We can't, can we? In our mind, if we had a, a map we could put up here on the board and we could outline the Appalachian Mountains to Canada to Mexico all the way out to California, we'd say, man, that is huge. That's what John is describing here. And he describes these things, how vast this will be. Now, some people, like Randy Alcorn, they believe that this 600,000 stories is where God is preparing a place for us. You know, in John 14, 2, we read, in Revelation 21, 2, we read that God is preparing a place for us, and we sing, I got a mansion just over the hilltop, and, and so there's some ideals along that. We don't know for sure, but we can understand, folks, we're not going to be crammed in to downtown New York City trying to live as Christians. This is a, a huge place that God's prepared for us, and that's what he describes here. Here's the second thing, the description of the city. As you enter the city, we're going to stand in amazement as we go in and as we look at this point. I want to point out five things that we'll see about this new city. The first is this, the pearly gates. Y'all remember that song, the pearly gates? Everybody talks about the pearly gates. You know, and there's, uh, is this just a story? Is just an embellishment of the truth? And who was it saying, you know, I'm going to have to tell St. Peter at the Golden Gate, I just hate to make, hate to make you wait, but I've got to have one more cigarette. <laughs> you know, I tell St. Peter at the Pearly Gates, I just hate to make you wait, but I've got to have just one more cigarette. That was a song that was popular years ago. And, and when we see Pearly Gates, we see pictures, and we see uh, St. Peter's always stuck at the gate. You know, I guess he's the gatekeeper, and, and he's always stuck at the gate, and people are coming up to this gate. But, but when we read the description of the pearly gates, we think about one pair of gates. But look what Scripture says in verse 12. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. There's not just one gate. There's not just one place there. And 12 angels at the gates. And the names are written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each individual gate of one pearl. That's big, isn't it? I mean, that's a big pearl right there. But, but we're just talking about our, our, our picture that we get of heaven. And again... The more we read and, and we begin to put logic to the things we're reading, we can, we can begin to see and we begin to understand more and more about this city. Not one gate, but 12 gates, each made of this single pearl around the city, all the way around the city. And some find significant in the fact that a pearl is made because of pressure and because of pain. That's, that's how a pearl is formed. You know, that, that piece of sand gets in, a, uh, gets in the shell there and it, it begins to fester. And through that, through that pain and through that festering, it, it, it produces a pearl. And, and some have suggested when we enter that city and we see those gates, it'll be a reminder of what Christ did for us. The pain that he suffered for us, the things that he went through for us that we might have eternal life. So as we just look at that entrance... And we think of the, the suffering and the pain of our Savior. We're reminded of His great love for us. Here's the second thing. The foundation of precious stones. That's verse 19 and 20. I'll tell you right now, I've never heard of some of these stones. I'll also tell you, if you go look up pronunciations, I may pronounce them completely wrong. That's okay. The foundation of the wall where the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stone. The first was jasper. The second, sapphire. 
the first Chalcedony, the fifth, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardix, the sixth Sardius, and the seventh Chrysolite. The eighth was Burl. That doesn't sound very pretty, does it? Anybody want to say, I want a burl ring for Christmas? You know, uh, I don't know what that is, but it's going to be beautiful because it's a precious stone. The ninth topaz, the tenth crystal phase, and the eleventh janathan, and the twelfth amethyst or whatever, amethyst or whatever, A-M-T-H-Y-S-T. I don't know what these are, but here's where they're going to be. There are precious stones, and what do we do with precious stones? We adorn our, y'all adorn yourself with them. Most ladies, some guys adorn themselves with precious stones, but, but we, we want to show them off because we think they're beautiful. In heaven, it says there's going to be a foundation made of these precious stones. And, and just to think about, it, normally the foundation lays underground where it can't be seen, but not so with this. In this case, the New Jerusalem, the support for the New Jerusalem, the foundation of the New Jerusalem, it's going to be fully visible, and it's going to be indescribably beautiful. As you put all of these stones together, and it's not going to be one layer, it's going to be 12 layers of stones laid out for the foundation of this new city. So when you just approach the city, you see the, the foundation of all these precious stones, and then when you look at the gates of the city, you see these one enormous pearl and 12 times spread around the city, and, and Jerusalem is founded there, and it's anchored there by these precious stones. Here's the third thing, the streets of gold. You know, when we say the streets of gold in the New Jerusalem, was, uh, does that mean pure gold? Or, oh, is that, is that just a, a story, the, uh, a tradition of folklore? Or is that, is that something that's that really true? Does, uh, we sing about the, the streets of gold, but is that just a song someone wrote? And let me tell you this morning, I have all the authority in the world to stand up here this morning and say, absolutely, there will be streets of gold. You know how I can say that? Because it says it in the Word of God. And when we have the Word of God, we have an absolute truth. And the absolute truth is, verse 21b says, the second part of verse 21, and the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. You imagine that? I can only imagine, as Colton sang a few weeks ago, what that city must be like as you see the foundation and you see the gates and you go in and gold like transparent glass for the roads. Here's the fourth description. The lamb is the light. The greatest thing in heaven is not the city itself. It's not the foundation of precious stones. It's not the the golden streets. It's not the pearly gates. But it's who is there. And, And the Bible says the glory of God is going to be the light in that city. We have a lamb that is in light. Verse 23, John says, The city had no need of sun nor of moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the lamb is the light. That's Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah, he predicted in Isaiah 60, 19, The sun shall no longer be your light by day. Nor for the brightness shall be the moon giving light to you, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and, and your God, your glory. There will be no electric lights. There will be no need for generators and power plants and all of these things because those are unnecessary because Jesus Christ himself, he will be a radiant light within this city. It will be a light that we're drawn to within this city. 
Here's the fifth thing, the river of life and the tree of life. Revelation 21 and 22 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. Every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. If you want to find the throne of God, all you have to do is follow the river because the river is going to take you to the throne of God where that water flows as a water of life. And, and on each side of this river are planted a tree. Y'all ever knew that? I was studying this and I said, wait a minute, I never, I never realized that. We think the tree of life, but there's more than one. That, that little logic problem there says this, there's a tree of life on each side of the river. So there's more than one there. And, and on this tree of life, God is going to provide, it's going to provide its fruit every month. It's going, to, it's going to be leaves on that for the healing of the nations. That tree that once stood in the Garden of Eden, it was, it was taken out of that place when sin entered the earth and it was stored away. But when this new heaven and new earth comes, there will be that tree and other trees planted there and the new Jerusalem itself will be, will be there and it will be in its presence. And that tree of life that God created way back in Genesis, we're going to find that. We're going to see it that. And, and that city is not only going to be characterized by what's in it, we think about all the things we see that's in the city and Jesus Christ himself and this tree of life, but it's also going to be characterized by what's absent from it. Have any of y'all ever lived by, by a dairy? Maybe you even had a dairy. Or maybe a, uh, maybe a, a chicken plant? Or maybe a, here's a good one, uh, maybe a, a feed lot? Or maybe a sheep lot? If you leave out of uh, if you leave out of Menard going uh, uh, west, there's a there's a big feedlot for sheep, and and you know it's there because a couple miles before you get there, you can smell it, and a couple miles past, you can still smell it, and and you you go to a place like that. If any of you have ever been there, you maybe you lived there, or maybe you visited there. What's the first thing you do when you go in there? Whew, boy, this I don't see how y'all live here. This is awful. You know, I I can't I don't see how you can live. When the wind's just right, man, I would hate this. And, and what do the people say that live there? Uh, I never smell it. <laughs> we never, we're used to that. We, I, don't, I don't ever even smell it. There's a commercial now where the wife comes in and the husband, I don't know, it's always got to be like that. The husband's the one sitting around, the wife's the one up working. How fictional is that? But anyway, they, the wife comes in and, and she goes, Woo! It smells in here. I got to spray some Febreze because there's scents that we've gone what nose blind to. You've we've gone nose blind to see. You know when we think spiritually, I think spiritually we've gone nose blind to a lot of things in our world today. In other words, some of the sins and some of the filth that's in our world today, it doesn't bother us any longer. We don't notice it any longer. We don't, we don't smell that stench any longer because we've, we've lived with it and we lived in it and we've lived around it so much that it just doesn't affect us any longer. But when we look at heaven, and this is my final uh, description of heaven, we see that there's going to be some things absent from heaven. 
This is going to be some great things. Verse 4 says this, And God will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The Bible says there will be no more tears. It doesn't say there won't be some tears in heaven, but it says there's going to be a point that God's going to wipe away all of those tears. It says that there's going to be no more death. There's going to be no funeral processions, no ceremonies in heaven. Those things have passed away. There's going to be no more pain in heaven. Some of you this morning are in pain right now. Some of you got up this morning and you went ahead and came to church and you got aches and pains and and you just struggle through making it every day. The Bible says when we get to heaven, those things are going to be gone. Some of you may have more than a, a physical pain. You may have a, a, a spiritual pain. You may have some type of pain that, that you're dealing with that, that, that you, you just deal with every day, the pain of, of someone leaving or the pain of disappointment or, or any kind of emotional pain, the pain of rejection. The Bible says those things are going to be wiped away. And listen to this. Heaven is going to be characterized by the absence of sin. That's something we cannot imagine. I can't understand. I can't comprehend that. There will be no more sin. Verse 8, John says, But the cowardly and the unbelieving, the abominable, the the murderers, sexual immorals, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, all have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And we talked about hell a few weeks ago. But thereby shall no means enter anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In verse 8, this, uh, and also verse 27, we're told of those things that will not be in heaven, those things that's going to really make heaven great. And when we see this list as it begins, we might think, well, murderers or sexual immoral people, they ought to be at the top of the list. But look where it starts. It says, the cowardly and the unbelieving. I believe when it speaks of the cowardly, I believe it's referring to those who would never take a stand for Christ because they were scared of what others might think. What will my buddies think? What will other people think of me? If, if I try to, well, I don't want to be an old Bible thumper. I, I don't want to be somebody over there that, that doesn't look, that doesn't fit in. The Bible says the cowardly, those who who would never commit to following Christ. And then it says, secondly, those who are unbelieving. I believe those are the ones that the Bible speaks about in the end times, that that they're seeking God but denying the power of Him. In other words, they're they're those that, that look good on the outside like the Pharisees. They come to church. They do all of these good things. They, they're seen before men. And, and because of their good deeds and because of their giving and because of their acts, they, they think God's just going to say, all right, come on into heaven. And John says, those who are unbelievers, they'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and I think that's why it's important for us to understand that, that it's not by our works, it's not by our deeds. It's simply by us confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and asking Him to come into our heart. And when we do that, John says, those names are then written in the Lamb's Book of Life, indelible ink. It'll never be erased. It'll never be changed. It'll never be taken out. When we accept Jesus Christ, then we have an invitation and we have a place in heaven prepared for us that we can only imagine. In closing here, C.S. Lewis 
He wrote the books, the Chronicles of Narnia, and I've read all of them, and, and they're good books. And the characters who lived in Narnia, they've completed their time, and they've completed their work here. And in a closing chapter entitled, Further Up and Further In, Aslan, the Lion, and, and he represents Christ in these books, Aslan does. It's time has come for them uh, to make their way to home. He's going to take them to their home. And they're headed away from Narnia, and they're about to enter Aslan's land. And as they do, they're met with familiar scenes. And one of the characters cries out, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is a land that I've been looking for all of my life, but I never knew it till now. At last, I'm home. The reason we loved old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little bit like this. You know, if you think about what they're saying and what he's betraying to us is we love where we live. We love our homes. We love our communities. We love our lands. We, we love to go and, and vacation and look at mountains and look at trees and look at all of those things. But I believe when we enter, to he- enter into heaven, we'll say, this is the land I've been searching for. I've been looking for this. But I never knew till now that's what I've been searching for. And the reason I love the earth is that sometimes it looked a little like heaven. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. I want you to think about that. If it were not for the hope of heaven, it would seem impossible to live here at times. We need to realize that the hope of heaven is not something that we can just escape the difficulties of life. There's things we have to deal with this side of heaven. We have, to reface, we have to face the realities of life. But as we face the difficulties and the realities of life, we're reminded this is temporary. James says it's just like blowing your hot breath on a cold day. It's a vapor that, a few, that appears and then it's gone. He says that compares to our life. Paul says this, I reckon my sufferings of the day will never compare to the riches that await me in Christ Jesus. So as we think about this new land, we think about this new heaven, I want to ask you, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? That's what this whole series has been about. It's been about eternity. Our soul will never die. We're made to live forever, and we will live forever. We'll either live forever in heaven or we'll live forever in hell, but but those are the only two options. We can't be like that airline pilot that uh, he lost his navigation equipment and became distorted, and he announced to his passengers, ladies and gentlemen, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is we don't know where we're going, but the good news is we're making good time. We don't need to be like that spiritually. We don't need to say, well, the bad news is I'm not sure where I'm going, but time is moving fast. The truth is God has made a way that we can know we have eternal life. James says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life.
this morning, I pray and I prayed this morning and I've been praying this week that no one would leave here this morning without knowing their destination. And if the Holy Spirit calls you and woos you this morning, then I want to invite you to come. As our praise team comes, they're going to lead us in a song of invitation this morning. It's going to simply say this, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and calling for me. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. And this morning, that's an invitation to home. As we stand together, would you bow your heads? Christians, would you pray for those around you? And would you just let go and allow God to move within your heart today? That's my prayer as we come to a close this morning.